0: Alright, if you have your Bible this morning, we're in the book of James, and so you can turn with me to James. Today we're going to close out chapter 1. If you need to borrow a Bible, the guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible. You just have to raise your hand high and love to loan you a Bible so you can follow with us. We're looking really just at two verses this morning, as most of you know, making our way through this great book, letter, and just unpacking these two verses, there's a lot here, as we'll consider what James has to say, uh, not only to the original audience, but of course to us as we read it today and trust that God has some things for us. I entitled our message simply, Pure Religion, taken right out of the text there uh, in verse 27, so Pure Religion. And if you are there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I, I read aloud from my Bible. You can follow uh, Along in yours, James says, picking up on thought, and we'll cover context as well. That's always important. If anyone among you thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion, James says, is useless. And he offers that pure, an undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. He gives a very specific example. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. All right. Those two verses, Nehemiah prayed, Don prayed, so we won't pray again. So just take a moment and greet your neighbor and then you can have a seat, okay? Okay. So there, there are many blessings of living here in Okinawa, and, uh, and, and one of them is that, uh, from my experience, most of the time, that when you order your food from a restaurant, uh, from a particular menu, uh, one of the blessings is that the actual food that comes out to your table uh, looks as good, sometimes even better, than what's been advertised, right? It'll match the picture, um, my experience in other places is often the opposite. It's often that uh, what's on the picture or what's pictured on the menu or what's depicted, that what arrives looks nothing like you. are like, what is this? This is not what I ordered. And, and so I've come just to expect uh, my order not to look like what has been pictured. But in Okinawa, if you found this to be true, what's depicted Is often what's delivered it's a very close match and so in that I don't feel like I'm being cheated or I'm being tricked Uh, it's one of those things that I appreciate about living here I say all that as we look at here James that the book of James calls us as Christians if you name the name of Christ as your Lord and Savior for us to deliver if you will what is declared And we've talked already how James and his approach to this, he does not hold back. He doesn't care if he steps on our toes. He will get in our face and he will call us out in love, but in truth. And he isn't afraid of confrontation. He doesn't really beat around the bush so much. And and he doesn't have any issues to tell it like it is. And in one way, that's what James is doing here, that he basically is saying, and really through the totality of his letter, that if we claim the name of Christ, and we say that we know the Lord, and we're walking with the Lord, we have a relationship with the Lord, James would say that what you and I declare, and what we deliver, it should be a close match. We've talked, right? James says there should be an equal sign between our words and our works, what we say and what we do. Now, there are a number of things that we should do, that we can do to shine our light in this world as believers in Jesus Christ. James doesn't give us an exhaustive list here. He just names a few things. And it's in these few things for us this morning that we'll pause for a moment, we'll evaluate, and hopefully for us, we'll take some adjustment as needed as the Spirit reveals and speaks. So I draw your attention back to verse 26 where he says, if anyone among you thinks thinks he or she, they are religious. Now we'll pause there. You remember with me that in context of this particular letter this whole section James has challenged us with a, a bold I guess summation that hearing of God's word that does not lead to the doing of God's word that that is a form of self-deception back in verse 22 And so he's established that, but he adds now in a very similar way that those who think they are religious, and this encompasses then those who would make the claim to be, or even those who presume to be right with God, but in reality, he says they're not. It's the spiritual equivalent of, oh, so you think you can dance, right or you think you can sing if anyone thinks that they are right with god you know i don't know if you've met some people i have their 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 self assessment of their ability to sing or dance uh is much higher than reality right? do you know people like that you know they claim oh i I'm, i can sing or they can dance but then everybody else knows the truth like no they can't right it's like yeah you you can go to karaoke by yourself right <laughs> when when James uses the word religious here and by the way for you bible students uh, it's only used once uh, this particular form here and it's in James but it denotes a uh, ceremony it denotes an observance of religious activities or tradition. And James is not necessarily using it in a positive sense, but more in line with really the religious leaders even of Jesus' day. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that often the religious leaders of Jesus' day, uh, the Lord had some hard words for them at times. See, for them, religion... Their thought of being right with God consisted with an emphasis of the externals. It was the outward observances. It was a strict ceremonial adherence. And for them, there was more concern about outward appearance, of looking the part, than really living it genuinely. The outward more than the inward. And what did Jesus say and do with those? Well, like James, he often had some hard words. He would step on toes, if you will. He rebuked the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. They claimed to be worshipers of God. And oh, they knew the lingo. They could talk the talk but Christ would call them out. And their own attitudes and their own actions were contrary to what they were professing and even what they were teaching at times. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is in conversation with them and he he basically puts them on blast. In verse 27 and 28, he says to them, you are like whitewashed tombs. Now for us here in Okinawa it's easy to picture if you've ever seen the Okinawan uh, tombs the hakas you know some of them are, are pretty ornate right they're marble covered some of them can be beautiful as tombs are beautiful in that sense I guess but but you've seen them and and so for us it's not hard to imagine Jesus is in a sense referring to those things these Beautiful outward whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, he says, but on the inside, they are full of dead men's bones and everything that's unclean. And he draws the parallel. In the same way, on the outside, he says to the religious, You appear as righteous. You look good. You know the lingo, but on the inside, You're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. James, if you will, is addressing a similar mindset, a similar group. A religion that places an overemphasis on the externals with no connection to the heart. It's just all outward and hopefully this is a reminder for you, you know, God's not primarily interested in our outward compliance. He's not looking for you and me to just be externally, you know, conform to these externals or ceremonies. He's not looking for just behavioral modification or that you and I would ad- ad- adopt some, you know, merely a code of ethics to live by. God's interested in your heart. God is interested in our transformation, where he's placed his living spirit in you and in me, and there's a genuine work that he does in our life from the inside out, and it's a heart work. That's what God's interested in. And so if you've been around church for a while, you've heard where people say, oh, I'm not religious, but I have a relationship with the Lord. You know, we couldn't understand. Yes, you know, religion, as often the world defines it, as though just following a set of rules and regulations and rituals devoid of a vibrant, living, growing relationship with God. I mean, that's what the Lord is seeking after, where it focuses on what Christ has done for us, as we talked last week. And these things, remember, we have to make sure we keep them in proper uh, order, that these are a response of love to what God has done for us. And so James is confronting the, it's the self-righteous. It's the religious mindset. It's the person who thinks they're good with God because they are religious outwardly. And here's what James says. They're deceived. They're fooling themselves. Now again, those can be hard words to hear and to process. And I would add for us, even as believers, if you and I are doing anything spiritual and thinking that somehow, oh, we're going to earn heaven or that we're going to win God's love or God's approval by what we do, Can I say this in love? You and I will be deceived as well. Now, the thing with a person who is self-deceived is by definition, they don't know it. You know, it's like walking around with sauce on your face or maybe your buttons are all off. Like you're you're not aware, right? You're not self-aware. And you didn't know until someone comes up to you and says, Hey, you got something right there. You know, with a beard, it often happens. And people are like, Hey, you got something? Oh, like, well, yeah, that's just my bento for later, you know. And sometimes you're just not aware, like you're just disheveled or something's out of place until someone says, Hey, you know, years ago, the first time me and Christy, before we got married, we were dating. And so I'm going to go meet her parents for the first time. So I'm nervous. I want to make a good impression. So we walk into the house and there her dad's sitting her mom's on the other couch and She comes and introduces me and I say hello Mr.. and Mrs.. Stanley and as I'm standing there all of a sudden Christy goes. Oh my gosh your zippers down Like just announces it <laughs> And I I was mortified. I just turned bright red I was and then if it wasn't embarrassing enough she she reaches for my pants Like and starts to try to help me. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, like it's the first time true story I could have died But I married the crazy girl, yeah I wasn't aware Every time I go to see her parent. I'm like, all right. I'm I'm good. I'm good Some people aren't aware And so James is calling him out. What does he say, though? What's an indicator? What's the spiritual your zipper's down? He says, do not bridle your tongue. If you think that you're good with God, here's the indicator. Here's a sign. Here's a check. If you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your own heart. Now, James returns to the topic of the tongue. If you've been with us, you remember that he's talked about that back in verse 19 where he gave us a prescription for our mouths and our ears and our heart. And he points to a giant factor of genuine faith, and that is, guess what, our words, our lips, our mouths. And Scripture, really, all of Scripture points us to this, that what comes out of our mouth is one of the biggest indicators of what's happening in our heart. And Jesus said in Luke 6.45 that a good person out of the good treasure of their heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now. No. James will have much more to say about what we say, the power of our tongue, the destructive power specifically. Um, but the emphasis here, as he just kind of drops this back in, is on the ability to control our mouths. And he uses analogy that the writers of or the readers of the, the you know, this. Early church would understand. They're familiar with the the idea of bridling. Later on, he's going to talk about how a bit in the horse's mouth, something so small, can control, you know, restrain a powerful animal. And so the readers would get it. They understand. And I haven't really been around horses so much. I don't know if you've had, but I mean, I, I know what a bit in a bridle is. You know, it's a harness. So James uses this analogy to illustrate, uh, again, how something small, like our tongue, can wield tremendous power, but how uh, the bridle, it, it represents control. It's how you control the bit. And so one place for you and for me that we can pause and, in a sense, just check our own faith and where our heart is at is by our speech. What's been coming out of our mouth lately? What's the jokes that we tell? The things that we say to our loved ones? What's going on with our mouths? Um, My doctor doesn't do this anymore, but I remember in our... When I was younger, and in initial checkups, when you go to the clinic or the doctor, you know, one of the things they would do is they would say, open your mouth, and they have a tongue depressor. They'd say, say, ah, right, and they would check your tongue. And that was, you know, one indicator of our health. And so similarly, similarly, spiritually, James is saying, listen, one of the tests of our hearts spiritually is to see what's going on with our tongue. And what he's alluding to here is the idea that an out-of-control tongue, it's not bridled, indicates a false faith. We're deceiving ourselves. It's the person who claims to know God, but then they don't have any control over the things they say, the jokes they tell, the, the things that come out of their mouth. Gossip or slander or rudeness or, you know, crude things? Or they just nonsense words? Maybe you've met people where they just talk and they... And you kind of know right away, right? They're just talking and talking. It's like they're... It's just a... It's, a, it's flowery speech that's just providing a, a superficial covering for their shallow spirituality. Like, ah, oh, they don't really... They're just talking. And so for us, you know, it's, a, it's a test. Now, the, the test, though, of, of our genuine faith isn't necessarily the, what, you know, the ability to speak. Sometimes there are people who know this say the right things. But here James gives emphasis on the ability to control what we say. King David in Psalm 39.1 says, I'll guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue, and I'll guard my mouth as as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. And so James adds this for us, that if our claim to Christ does not season or restrain our speech, then we need to reexamine our claim. That, that's the, you know, stepping on our toes and getting our face. That your words and my words inevitably will reveal what's going on in the inside. Now, can I offer this as an aside? I, I think for, for us as Christians, it, it's always good for us to consider our speech. It's good for us to take pause and take inventory of what what have we been saying lately and how have we been saying things lately what's been our tone and our intent are we communicating with kindness and grace is our speech been seasoned with grace are we imparting grace to the hear that's important for us you know and it's good for us to say lord forgive me we ask forgiveness if you've offended or hurt someone. And ask God to help us when to speak and when not to speak and what to speak and have tact and wisdom in our words. Have wisdom in the tone that we use with other people. Again, we'll come back to this where James will talk about how even our words can be weaponized. You can build a life or you can destroy a life by your very words now let me also provide this qualifier james is not talking about us that fall into sin occasionally at times we say selfish things i'm capable of that you're capable of that we you know we 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 say sinful things and hurtful things at times We're all guilty. Most of us are guilty of that. James later says, if if you're perfect in your word, then you're perfect in your faith. But rather, he's talking about the, the habitually unbridled, continually unconstrained. There's no control, there's no filter. And so he just tells us straight. Again, I'll repeat myself. You claim to be a follower of Christ, and your words and your mouth is just unhinged, you need to check your claim. It's take a heart inventory. If, you're, if your words don't match your actions, and he even just says you're deceived, you're living in self deception. And he adds to that. Notice he says, and this one's religion is useless, it's not soft. He's saying, "What you're holding on to, you're self-deceived. It's worthless. It's useless. It means it's in vain. It's empty. It's devoid of force. It's non-productive. It's dead. It's fruitless. It's aimless. It has no value." That one word encompasses all of those things. And ultimately, that's that really is what religion, if you will, devoid of a relationship is. It's just empty. It's powerless. It's dead. It may appear on the outside to be valid, but it's ineffective. Some time ago, I'd gotten some membership cards to the movie theater, you know, at the mall over here, and we we're holding on to them, and then COVID happened. So just set them aside and waiting for the theater to open back up. And when it finally did, we're excited. I'm like, oh, I got these membership cards. And they advertise that you can get discount on the entry and discount on popcorn. So I'm like, yes, I'm going to be a good steward. I'm wise. We showed up, and I tried to use them. And, you know, the Japanese polite, like, no, no, they're like, you know, boo, boo. I'm like, what? Like, I just got these, you know, before the... COVID and all that, like, sorry, they're expired. I'm like, I don't think I even used them. Like, they're like, brand new, and it said membership card on them, and they're like, nope, no good, useless, worthless. I thought they were valid. But again, the disappointing reality was I had to force to be, accept was they're no good. James is saying, listen, you might believe that you're a card-carrying member of the faith, but if you don't really live out what you claim to believe, the first examination is your words, what's coming out of your mouth. He says, your your belief is boo-boo. It is useless. It's worthless. And he adds to that. Kind of then defines what it should look like. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Now, it's interesting he doesn't come back to the idea of words. It says, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and adds, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James now provides practical examples of what genuine faith looks like. And he labels it pure and undefiled religion. Meaning that it's not tainted, it's not soiled by sin or or man's agenda. And the idea that he puts this qualifier before God and the Father, before God and the Father, I suggest to you that it speaks of motive. Of pure and, and undefiled religion isn't just what it looks like, in actuality, but also, what's the heart behind it? What's the intention? What's the motive of of what we're doing and why we're doing it? Because there's plenty of seemingly good religion, good works done before man for the motive of applause and recognition and affection from the world. Again, that was the motive of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And he called them out on that too. He says they love to be seen, they love to be applauded, they love getting the best seats and, and notoriety. And people look at them like, wow, look how religious they are, look how holy they are. And so Jesus calls them out for their, their heart motives. They just want it to be admired, applauded by other people. And so done before God or in the sight of the Lord, before God and the Father, it speaks to motive. And again, it's good for us just to do a little bit of a heart check. Why do we do the things that we do? What's our motive in what we're doing? should not, we're tempted. If you're like me, there's times I, you know, I, the thing that I often struggle against is I, I like when people like me. And so I have to struggle against just pleasing people for the sake of them just liking me. That we wouldn't do things for the fear of man, or man's applause, or recognition but really a higher motive that we're doing so in loving obedience to the Lord. In the Lord and for the Lord. And so when he says pure and undefiled religion be for God and the Father, I think he's speaking about you know, how we're doing these things and the motive in which we do them. In fact, it's not just James that covers this. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, Paul takes a very similar approach where he addresses a a group of, a church, a community of believers. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he gives this list of, of gifts and abilities, of great sacrifices and charity. And he adds this qualifier to those things. He says, you might be able to do these things and give these things, Give away all that you have, even give your body to be burned. And he says, but if you don't do that with love, he's the same, it's the same conclusion. It's worthless. It's useless. It's boo-boo. And so God's love needs to be the moving force behind what we do. of summarized it this way, you can bear with my longer point that, you know, genuine faith for us, it's going to, it should, in a sense, reflect God's passion and God's priorities. But it's demonstrated through us, like we then reach out to others in need in the love of the Lord. Like we're carrying out the mission of Christ, if you These past two weeks, I had the honor of um, going to four different military events. I got to go on Kadena last week, and then uh, there were two change of commands, and then retirement ceremony for our dear brother, George Oshana. So praise the Lord for George and his family. 25 years of dedicated service, and God's allowing him to stay on island, so that's exciting. But at each of those ceremonies, part of the ceremony and reading the various uh, awards and citations, many of you, Ben, you know, right, the values and the mission statement of those respective organizations, they're, they're highlighted, they're revisited. And along with that is then the, the the highlighted details of how this particular person who was changing command or assuming command or retiring, how they exemplified those core values, how they lived them out, how they demonstrated them in this particular assignment or over the totality of their career and their accomplishments and their endeavors and their investment in, in others. And they were, as many of you are, a a practitioner and a promoter of the values and the ethics of this greater cause. As Christians, we bear the name of Christ, and we shine His light. And God has called us to be the practitioners and the promoters, the ambassadors of Jesus that we might expand uh, the ethos of God's heart to others, that we too carry out the mission of the gospel. And we have the greatest cause in the universe, the cause of Christ, to see others one for Jesus. Now that can look and play out in so many different ways, but James provides two specific examples, these two specific elements here that really resound the heart of God. The first is, it's kind and loving deeds, exemplified especially in helping the helpless, and he names these disadvantaged groups. It's orphans and widows. And along with that, living a pure and holy life unstained and untainted by the sins of the world. Now, in James's day, history tells us that it was often these two particular groups, the orphan and the widow, that were neglected, that were taken advantage of. Today, it's very similar. We read about human trafficking and disadvantaged groups and and our hearts break. It's the child without parent or parents. It's the woman who's lost her husband. And, you know, scriptures tell us that God is their advocate. God cares for them and loves them and wants them you know, to, to know his love. Psalm 68 verse 5 says, God is a father of the fatherless and an advocate for widows is our God and His holy habitation. And so, what James is pointing us to is that our faith in Christ will encompass and reflect, it'll echo God's heart for people. And take action then in caring for them, in living this out, especially the least and the lost and the disadvantaged. And we, we see that played out in the greater body of Christ today. It, it's often Christian organizations. It's often the, the parachurch groups like Samaritan's Purse or even the, you know, the, the Mission of the Salvation Army. It's Christian groups that often respond to disaster and crisis, uh, humanitarian needs. It's often the church that rushes, you know, first to those things practical and medical and material support. And God opened a door for us when the earthquake and tsunami happened back in 2011. And, you know, the community there and Sendai and Ishinomaki and uh, Higashi Matsushima, that whole coastal area. They, in one sense, were surprised that you know, we came. There's a lot of people that were making an exodus and we were you know, going towards spending time and energy and money and and it became a great testimony. It was a bridge to the gospel. And, and we weren't the only ones. You know, our church, and we partnered with other uh, Calvaries in Japan. In fact, we partnered with Koza, it was great, and some uh, Samaritan's Purse, and we had some connection with them. And there are other churches and groups, by the way. But predominantly, at least for my perspective, a lot of them are Christian. And so we had an opportunity to shine the light of Christ and. in in a very practical way. I mean, even here in Okinawa, some of the larger uh, hospitals that are not government-run are Christian. Good Samaritan, Mount Olive, uh, Amekudai, Seventh-day Adventist, in fact. For us as uh, as a local church, over the years, in different seasons, we've had an orphanage ministry, and sadly, because of COVID, those, you know, those doors and avenue, that avenue had to close, but we still have inroads to children's homes, we've done homeless outreaches, and if you guys didn't know, like for us, we, you know, we support single moms. There are a handful of single moms in our church, and uh, we just come alongside, and love on them in practical ways and help them out and many of you guys know like you know even outside of our four walls where we're sending supplies and gifts and you know supporting like um, in the philippines for example is one that's coming up by the way our christmas in september and um, in uganda as well and King, this this isn't prescribed only to parachurch church or us as a community of church. uh, This is something each of us individually can adopt and put into personal practice. And so I I would lovingly challenge you to pray, consider, look around your own circle, look around your own community and, and see where God might lead you. There are people who could use some extra practical support. Sometimes it's just your time. They need a, someone to help watch their kids or their, their furry family or make a meal like we do with the manna ministry. Or if you know a little bit about cars or you know how to sew. I mean, there's, there's so many different avenues for us to come alongside and invest and help and support. Certainly, that includes, you know, at times, monetarily helping and supporting those. Now, James uses this word to visit, to visit orphans and widows, to visit. And that word to visit is interesting in the original Greek. It's the word episcopos. And it's translated in other passages as bishop or overseer. And that's what the word literally means. It's a compound word. Epi means above and scopos means to scope it out. You're above and you're seeing. Overseer, that's the idea. But the idea behind this word is that our involvement is more than just, uh, if I can say this without offending anybody, than just throwing money at something. It's more than just saying, oh, I'll give a little extra. It, it challenges us to Take personal action. <laughs> Where you come along, you stand with and next and in front. It's, it's shoulder to shoulder. It's face to face. It's your going to their living spaces. It's inviting them <laughs> in, uh, into your house. It's relationships. In fact, the same word Jesus used in Matthew 25, he says, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. See, gang, what James is getting at, and certainly to these particular groups, to the orphan and the widow, that's a soft spot in the heart of God, these particular groups. I think we can broaden the aperture of the Application a little to any that are in need, specifically, though, certainly. But you and I, we get to be the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus, not just by proxy from a distance, but up close and personal. That's the challenge to make time, to make a sacrifice to walk with and be involved in. Now, James offers, I think, a very important counterbalance here because he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, be active, outwardly give, specifically to orphans and widows and their trouble. He says, and, or in some translations, it just keeps on going, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And I I call it a counterbalance because on one hand, we should be concerned for others. And we should be concerned about social issues and societal ills. That is on the heart of God. We're not called to be just inwardly focused. Many, many years ago, when I worked at Nike, out on the sales floor. There's a... Oh, this is my notes. Sorry, Ique. The sales team, they, all, they would wear these red jerseys, and they'd all huddle together, and I'd walk by, and I'm like, hey, you look like a blood clot. Move, you know, just... I mean, there's an aspect we are to uh, be a light to the world by our love for one another, genuine concern in the household of God, esteeming each other, Better than ourselves. But it's not just that. It is then to extend and share, not just be inwardly focused, but to be inviting others in, to be reaching out. And so there's an element where, you know, we we can be. Concerned for society and social issues, and, and we should be. But we should also, in balance, be concerned about our personal purity and our integrity. Because sometimes, even within church, there's a, an unbalance, there's a heavy emphasis on the social gospel, on social justice. Whereas that just takes the main stage. We should be about doing and only doing. And, and everything then becomes about addressing societal ills and, and injustices. Again, there's a place for that. But sometimes, the, again, there's an overemphasis, and then the gospel is forgotten. The gospel is neglected the spiritual freedom, and the delivery of the message of Jesus Christ. The inward transformation that God wants to bring, not just the outward uh, support and change. And so there needs to be a balance between uh, what we're doing outwardly and where we're standing with the Lord. In a similar way, That's why here for us, we we try to make an emphasis that if you're gonna we serve, and we'd love for us and you to serve. We believe that God's called all of us to serve. Ephesians says that when we do, when all of us do our part, we all grow up together. But the blessing for us is that we have two services. And so we try to say, hey, it'd be best if you can sit one and then serve one. Get fed and and then go to the toddlers and earn many crowns for the, for, you know, in heaven. And sometimes we can get out of balance, or we're just serving, we're just giving out. And James, again, here is talking not about ritual purity, but purity of heart. That there, our genuine faith will care for others, Because God cares for others, but also it will be devoid of the world's ways and the world's motives. Of the world's motives. Because sometimes we can do the right thing in the wrong way. And and we've all seen and read, sadly, of organizations and even Christian organizations or humanitarian groups and charities that they promote this mission of caring for others, but all of a sudden, sadly, when they're audited, or something happens, there's corruption, there's moral failure, and they get exposed, all of a sudden their budgets reveal, oh, no, they're, they're more about making money for their own officers and their organization than they are about helping who they claim to be helping. See, God God wants us to operate in honesty and integrity with others. Charles Spurgeon said that charity and purity are the two great garments of Christianity. Isn't that a great quote? Charity and purity are the two great garments of Christianity. And so James steps on our toes, gets in our face today, and he says, Hey, if you think that you're right with God... Check your mouth first. Start there. And then he adds, God's heart's this. He cares about the lost and the least, the disenfranchised, the disadvantaged. And if God does, so should we. And that we get to then reflect, be ambassadors for the cause of Christ, to be the the loving channels in which God wants them to love these people. And along with that, we don't want to get out of balance. That ourselves are unspotted, that means without blemish, and outwardly uh, you know, defective or inwardly that our character is marred. And notice, the source of that is from the world. <clears throat> to keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's John that will say, we can't say that we love God and love the world. Those two things don't go together. That we can't be enamored with the world. That we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so God has called us to be different. And that difference manifests itself in what we say, in what we do, and how we live. And that's where James brings us to chapter 1. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your scriptures as always. We thank you, Lord, for how it is alive that you have purposed it, Lord, to do heart surgery, that it can discern and know the intentions and the motives of our heart. And Lord, I if anybody here would agree with me, like Lord, I, I know that sometimes I can just put on a facade. I can just go through the motions. That I too can be guilty of just appearing religious. Lord, forgive us. May our motives be right. Lord, may we not walk in our own self-deception, not fearing the the you know, the fear of man or seeking the applause of people. But Lord, the things that we would do and the things that we would say will be honoring to you, encouraging and uplifting and edifying of the season with grace, the people that are around us. And Lord, even practically, as we think about those who are most disadvantaged, Lord, that they <laughs> Sometimes the world neglects or abuses, but Lord, you love the fatherless, the, the widow, those who find themselves in trouble, in need. God, we get to be your hands and feet. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be uh, like the scribe or the priest that ignored the man in that example of the good Samaritan. But Lord, we would be the good Samaritan that we would take the trouble, take the time, take the effort to do life alongside. and Lord, along the way that we wouldn't get out of balance, out of balance, to live in purity and holiness. Lord, we're in this world, but we're not of it. And so help us to put on charity and purity as the garments of Christ. We love you and we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I pray that you.